Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast. Because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. Part two of this podcast brings us the Q&A session with Harrison Fletcher, Eleanor Brown, Jackie St. Joan, and Jenny Shank from the second half of our February 19th The Story of a Book event. Let's start with any questions anybody has, and I'm going to rephrase them. I've been told to reiterate them for the podcast. Yeah. So, don't everybody charge at once. Or I could pass this around. No, Except, no, just pass it to them. oh, God, you're smart. Okay, let's start with Kara. I have a question for Okay. Okay, so the question is about the first person plural, the we voice in Eleanor Brown's book, and um, does each of the sisters have her own voice as well? That kind of thing, sort of. <laughs> um, so the answer is that the sisters are narrating collectively, so I tend to think of the narrative voice as a blend of all three of them. Um, so there are times when it's really kind of dopey humor, which is very much the youngest, Cordelia, and sometimes it's very smart alecky humor, which is the middle, um, and sometimes there's no sense of humor, which would be the oldest. Um, and um, uh, so no, it was definitely a blend. The place that I tried to get their voices to come out was in the dialogue rather than the narration. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, next question. Yes? Hi, uh, just for the entire panel, uh, kind of thinking about what you were saying regarding the day job. So, uh, how many words do you write a day if you know, you're working eight hours a day? How many words? <laughs> how many hours? Starting with Harrison. It depends on the day. No. Um, <laughs> Um, six pages, whatever that is. 1,500? 1,500, something like that. Yeah, I put in, I put in, I punch the clock, I don't know, three hours a day. Some, some days better than others, but. Yeah. And do you also hold an eight-hour a day job? No, I hold four eight-hour, or four. <laughs> 32 hours. Yeah, four, yeah, four 2.5-hour a day jobs or something like that. <laughs> Um, it's really hard to answer that question when I'm in the generative phase I will write all day and all night you know just until I'm exhausted and then if I'm in the revision sort of phase and rewriting which I don't really like that much but I'll do it um Probably two or three hours a day is the most I can take. Um, I found that when I finally had other people interested in the work, like I was going to send it out or somebody said I really liked what I read, I'd like to hear read more, then I felt like I was actually had a job for the community and I was 
uh, you know, gainfully employed. And so I would, I would stick with it. You know, I would, I, I'm one of those people that sort of, you know, crosses out time on the calendar, you know, of what I'm, if I'm going to mail a letter, I put it on the calendar, you know. So that's the only way I can get things done is to have it on my list. So I don't know numbers of, of words, but I do know hours of time. And then there's the time on the shelf when you, you know, like you're not writing, you're really depressed. <laughs> Oh, I don't really think about words. <laughs> um, when I was writing the book, I, I, I wrote like almost every day for 10 years before I had kids. And then after I had kids, I write during the one hour when one's nap co- uh, corresponds to the other's preschool. And I just, and I found it's a lot more productive, actually. You get more done in that hour than you got done before because you run down to your office and you're like, go, write a book review. You don't have any fear because you don't have time for the fear. So um, I haven't been writing a lot of fiction lately. Just, I've been doing really short things. I'm hoping when my daughter goes to kindergarten, I'll do more. And I also, so my full-time job is looking after my kids, and then my part-time job is um, I write for the Dallas Morning News, and I edit a website called New West. So I write about three articles a week, and I do that when they're asleep. And then I work in the fiction whenever I can. And I don't worry about... I used to do that. Like, when I had time, I would say, you have to write five pages or you have to write for this time. I just um, write when I can. And I, right now it's short stuff and, and funny things, and I'm, I'm trying to get that novel, next novel to come out um, maybe when I have more time. <laughs> um, I do set word count goals, but the secret is that I sent really achievable word count goals, like 10. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, I usually I usually aim for about a thousand, um, and there are days when that takes an hour, and there are days when that feels like it takes thirty, which is mathematically impossible. But you understand what I'm saying. Um, if I'm really in the zone, I and I have a full day, I can you know pump out five thousand words without a problem. Um, but the most important thing that actually I'm going to refer to Jodi Pico for the second time here. Um, I went to a reading with her, and she said, "You can edit garbage, but you can't edit a blank page." Um, and so if I produce a thousand words of garbage, that's fine because I can edit it later, and I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Um, so I do think setting word counts is helpful for me, but I really think that being fair with yourself is too. You're not going to produce 2,500 words every time you sit down. So you want to set something achievable so that you don't, um, you're not any harder on yourself than writing already is. And do you have a day job? Do I have a day job? I do. Um, and that was kind of what I was talking about with that like writer-author line. So now I actually have three jobs. I have my day job, I have my job as a writer, and I have my job as an author. Um, I don't sleep a lot. We have a saying in our house that sleep is for the weak. Sorry, I wanted to add something. Um, for, for me, um, it's not so much the word count or the, the amount of hours that I put in every day so much as it's to access that dream space or try to access that space at least once a day. Because um, I think a lot of what writing is, is is unconscious or subconscious, and you're trying to access that voice that you can control. So for me, it's just trying to get to that place where I lose track of time and 
voices come. So I just try, I try to go there once a day as, as, um, as opposed to having a word count or anything like that. It's just go to that dream space and try and stay there for a while. That makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I want to say what he said. And then I also want to say the opposite, which is that um, when I started this book, I, um, I, did, I love deadlines. Give me a deadline, please, somebody. And so I had a deadline, which is I wanted to have a manuscript to take to show Dorothy Allison in the summer. And um, so I did the math. I said I wanted it to be 300 pages. I, that's so many pages per week. And, um, and I did that. That was my goal. That was how many pages I would write per week. And it was magic. It kind of happened. It wasn't great writing, but it was words on paper. Thank you. Any others? Just so you know, I hate to brag, but I'm really awesome at writing a thousand crappy words a day. Thanks. Okay, other questions? Okay, here and then there. So I know when I was writing my book, I had all these stupid mantras. I would tell myself to push myself through to a finished product, and I'm wondering if you want to share your embarrassing slash awesome writing mantras um, <laughs> when I was the editor of The Onion I got to interview lots of musicians and I interviewed CeeLo Green and he has this song called Super Chicken <laughs> and he was telling me about it and it's um, he says the words these wings that I've been given have been tended to fly but he doesn't say he's going to fly like an eagle or a raptor he's going to fly like a chicken <laughs> and my mom, who was raised on a farm, tells me that chickens don't fly that well. <laughs> so you can't be an eagle if you're not an eagle. If you're a chicken, you're a chicken. But try to be a super chicken. <laughs> so be a super whatever you are. Um, so I should uh, just give a brief plug and tell you that the asker of that question is Aaron Blakemore, who's the author of a wonderful book called The Heroine's Bookshelf, um, and uh, which was released in October. Um, and I actually met her at her reading. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> um, so I already said one of my mantras, which is you can edit garbage, but you can't edit a blank page, and that really bears repeating. And the other one is very similar, and it is done is better than perfect because there is always time to make it perfect later. I don't know if these are embarrassing or particularly funny, unfortunately. Um, I don't remember this guy's name, but he's, he's a very famous French poet. And um, for the memoirists out there or anybody who writes literary nonfiction, um, this helps me. Is uh, Your silence won't save you is one. And then uh, for the writing, it's Kerouac. Don't focus on the words. Try to see the scene more clearly. Nice, nice. And there was someone back here who had a question. Yes. And I know this is a question you will probably ask over and over, but how do you continue, aside from perhaps deadlines, do you continue to stay So what besides deadlines keeps you going? 
I, I lo- personally love visual artists and being around visual artists it, because so much of what their their process is is the same as our process, but but we don't think of it that way. So 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 that's one one way. Being around visual artists can be pretty inspiring. Um, the other thing for me is getting away from here. I like to go. I like. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I do like to go to Centrum and Vermont Studio Center and the White Foundation in Costa Rica and Wild Acres in North Carolina. I was just looking at my checkbook and seeing I'd gone to so many places over the years where I had a certain amount of quiet. Now, I have had experiences where I've had quiet in the woods that I didn't want, you know, Um, so not every opportunity like that is productive, but I do think that that finding writers that you like, that you love, finding out where they're teaching and going there and getting in their workshop can make a big difference. Others? Um, Denver is my muse, so I live in Boulder and I long for Denver. (laughs) (laughs) That keeps me inspired. Um, I think that... When, you're, when it's taking eight years to write a book, you're not going to be inspired the whole time. You have to be kind of inspired in waves, like to get a draft done. You make the goal, and then when you're really, really sick of it, you just you can't go back. To, I think it goes back to the Stephen King thing. You have to let it aside and go where the energy is if you feel like writing short stories for a while or just leaving it for a while. Um, but just as long as you know in your head that you're going to come back to it again. That goes against, I interviewed T.C. Boyle because I, I find him really interesting because he writes a book every year and it's a pretty good book and <laughs> always good. It's always at least good and sometimes great. And um, I said, well, how, how do you keep track of all the ideas? Because you just pump them out and like, do you, have, um, do you have the ideas lined up and do you work on multiple things at once? And he says, no, I only work on one thing at once because I, would, I fear that if I left this book to go to another, I would lose the energy that inspired that book, and I would never come back to it. So that's what T.C. Boyle says, which is different than me, but I'm not T.C. Boyle, and I don't have 800 books to write. <laughs> I have maybe three, or I don't know. Um, so I say go where the energy is and give yourself a break every once in a while. I, have, I, I just remembered my mantra. Can we go back? Which actually is something Miles Davis said, which is, um, I think, applies to writing, which is, uh, don't write what you know, write what you hear. Like, wait for that line to come to you. I, uh, <clears throat> I, read, I read sometimes poetry, usually, um, out loud or aloud. Um, before I start, you know, every day, I kind of pick up some poems and I start to read aloud and by... You know, 1.5 poems I'm ready to write. You just, you know, get into the rhythm, get into the cadence and the, the beauty of the, the language and uh, or whatever you like. You know, whatever writing you like, you, you might try reading for a little bit, putting it aside and start writing. That, that helps me usually. I do the same thing. Oh, I read, I had I like weird poets. So. That's all right. Um, I like uh, uh, Jean Fulane. He's a French poet. I'm reading, um, oh, skips my mind. Uh, her name is uh, Lorna Cervantes. She's a, Ch- she's a Chicano poet. That's who I'm reading now. So. She was my advisor at CU. Oh, she's great. Yeah. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I did the same thing. Like, I used to just read a short story every morning before I started writing. There's some people that say they, like, really limit, the, oh, I don't want to be polluted by these other things I read. And I like my muse really polluted. <laughs> I just read constantly. I read anything. I read while I'm doing it. I don't care if I copy them. Like, when I was reading, writing um, The Ringer, I read Richard Price's Samaritan over and over, and I read... Um, Stuart Dybeck's book and also Andre Debus' House of Sand and Fog and I, I hope that I copied them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I read, I read yes. First of all, I wanted to congratulate you all on getting your books published. Congratulations, everyone. <laughs> How do you deal with the rejections over the years? Eleanor. As um, most rejected, um, (laughs) I'm guessing, um, you have to go work on something else. So the second that I started sending um, uh, queries out to agents, I started working on on something else. And while it was out with publishers, I was writing a different book. And I didn't frankly think about it because that was not my job. Um, it was my agent's job to sell it. And that is why, that is one of the reasons that, that she's getting a cut. Um, um, and rejections, you know, continue to come. Um, you know, because once you're published, it's out there. And you're going to get bad reviews, and you're going to get people talking smack about you, and you're going to get, you know, people saying mean things on Twitter about you. Um, and, it, you know, and it is what it is. I did the very best I could. I wrote the book of my heart. I'm really proud of it. Not everybody's going to like it, and, and that's okay. Um, but the way that I kind of keep myself sane is to just work on other things because you cannot, I cannot make one book my whole life and base my whole self on that. I kind of have to let it go at some point, and I've had to let it go repeatedly. Um, so I would say move on. Yeah, don't, don't take them personally. Uh, they're not about you. They are not. <laughs> and just get an Excel spreadsheet and log them. And, um, and when you accumulate 100 or something, you're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I had a friend who sold cars, and she said, you know, you have to get um, 50 no's before you get a yes. So every no was good news because you were closer to getting the yes. I mean, that's kind of, 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 a, of a flip response in a way. I think that... You know, I've been really fortunate, and maybe it has to do with the sort of do-gooder aspect of my book, but um, I'm just under the radar. Like, I don't have Penguin or Putnam or anybody behind me. I'm lucky if I have this chair behind me. But what I do have behind me is I go places and people have ideas, and they refer me to... um, um, public radio, and they have a friend who has a bookstore, and one thing leads to another. So I feel like I'm on this. It's very different now, I guess, that it's published. It's not the same as your question, which is beforehand, but but just following up. Um, it's um, it's kind of sometimes it's nice to be small, you know. Um, yeah, I mean to echo what everybody else said. Uh, I'm in a I'm an editor now you know, uh, for a literary magazine. So I get to see the other side and yeah. more than ever, I know that not to take it personally because, you know, on the other end, sometimes I'm cranky or whatever, or I want to check the nugget score or something. Unfortunately, actually I read everything, everybody. So, 
don't take it. Per- but no, I don't take it personally. Uh, there's a practical uh, bit of advice that um, I use that someone told me. The day that you get a rejection letter, send something out in the mail. So you don't focus on that. You always have something in circulation, and, and what you just said too is always be working on something else. I mean, it, it's a process more than anything, and uh, you got to even the even the uh, level the playing field. So the more you send out there, uh, the better, I think. So. Thanks. Okay, you, and then back there. Okay. Okay, so the question is for the people who went without agents, and we're going to hear a little from. I think I think um, <coughs> my agent liked my book that we're talking about, but um, didn't think it was um, as accessible as a New York market might want. I disagreed. So um, I see he still represents me. He still represents my second project. But for this one, um, I sent it out on my own to the, the presses that I, the people that I read, the, whose books I read. Um, and no, I didn't need an agent. For, for New York, the trades, the big houses, you probably do need an agent just to look at your manuscript. But for the smaller presses, you don't necessarily need that. And I didn't use him at all, his name or anything, when I sent it to uh, Nebraska and a couple others that I sent it to. So it didn't, didn't uh, help me at all, if that makes sense. Did that help? Oh, okay. I kind of answered it earlier, I think. I, I, I did the math, and I figured out, you know, in my other life, I'm a lawyer. So I, I figured out that it was, you know, for her, to, for my agent to make money on this deal, I would, you know, the book would have to be sold to a press that could pay enough for her fee. And sometimes that's just not possible. And I'd gotten to the point where I just wanted the book to have life. And, and so the only way I could do that was by asking her if I could get out of the contract. And at that point, she was fine with that, except there were four or five that were out. And I said, fine, those will still be yours, but, you know, everything else, you know, won't be. And she was, she was good with that. I, you don't, I don't think you need an agent necessarily to publish your book. And I, most of the writers I know, and they're amazing writers, don't have agents. And they publish with, you know, New York houses and um, small presses, but you don't necessarily need an agent. I think that's something you need to to research and ask yourself, um, you know, at an AWP conference, somebody at an, at an editing publishing panel said something really important to me. Um, that you really need to think long and hard about what kind of publishing experience you want. You just, okay, um, what do you want and what can you live with? And how you answer those two questions will determine the path that you're going to take. So if you want to go Oprah, then there's a series of decisions that you're going to make to get you there. But if you don't want to go Oprah, then 
you make other decisions. And that's kind of the, the questions you need to ask yourself. What can you live with? What kind of publishing experience do you want? And I think that'll determine whether you need an agent, want an agent, or not. So if Oprah called you about your book, you'd oh, yeah. say, no, 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 no. Where's my agent? <laughs> <laughs> um, back there, yes. So that's a question for Harrison because of something that you said, but I would love to hear from everybody. Um, and Harrison talked a lot about making the piece what you wanted to be. And how do you draw the line and maybe kind of go back to sort of your earlier, less developed voice and experience between this is what I want it to be, this is what I think is good, versus someone else is telling me no, it has to change. I mean, there's always this take feedback from outside, be authentic to your voice. When the two clash, how do you know which one you should listen to? So the question is about trusting your voice and developing that sense of, of trust in yourself. That's all me, or you guys? Want well, it started with you, and if any, maybe okay. one other person, and then we should probably, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be corny, but I think it's like a relationship. So, if somebody will go out with you, if you change your hair and buy a new car and change your party affiliation, and <laughs> you know, you can do those things, but is that really who you are? So that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, is it changing things that's going to make your vision? sharper or is it really changing who you are because I really do think it's like a relationship especially with an agent you want to be with somebody who gets what you're doing not tries to mold you into something that will sell because then I, I, I've known so many people who have uh, rewritten their books for agents and lost themselves lost their vision and their agent drops them and what do they got so I mean it's really important to stick to what you want to write and who you are and not let them tell you to be a stockbroker and get a BMW or whatever when you want to drive a VW and work at Starbucks or whatever. You know, I've never had advice from anyone that made me change my voice. I think that's anything that comes from my true voice is great. You know, and I, I and, and even in the very last revision, which happened last September, well, last summer, the scene that I read the, where Kul Raj and Nafisa meet, my, my editor said, um, you know, I think you need a scene where they actually meet instead of just referring to the fact that they met in London. It took me 30 minutes maybe to write that scene. And it was just right. And she said, perfect. And I said, right. And I didn't change any of it. And it was just because I was in the flow of it. So the, the advice that I have gotten for the most part has been actually pretty helpful. And my, my challenge, I think it has to do more with my personality. I tend to think I'm right about everything. So for me to soften that and say, what do you think, and really listen is important. For someone else, maybe you know, they're like always wanting somebody else's ideas, and to hang on to their own is really important. So I think probably finding a balance there is uh, the answer. I've never really felt oppressed by what people wanted me to do. Usually the suggestions seem pretty good. What I like to do is um, do whatever Paula tells me to do. <laughs> you should take her class. Like she's, oh, the, the margin notes you get are just like awesome. 
and I, I, I don't even know how to rewrite something without like Paula's comments there. I feel like I can do it if I have those there to do. Um, I didn't have that experience where the agent told me to do anything, so I don't have that feeling. I'm sure there were lines that I would draw, but usually I find feedback really helpful. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> My agent... You care? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, I'm like the Denver fan. <laughs> My book was called Mile High, and I'm like, yeah, Denver, awesome. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. And, and then he said, okay, your title is The Ringer. And I looked it up, and I'm like, someone's already used this title, a baseball comedy, like a softball, slow-pitch softball comedy written by David Letterman's um, writer for David Letterman that bombed like 10 years ago. He's like, no one remembers. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, okay. Okay. I I like it now. It, It has to do, the ringer makes sense. It has to do, Ray, the character that I spoke about, he becomes the ringer. He becomes the pitcher that's brought in to another team to help them win. So it makes thematic sense. And I think it's, has more of a ring trip probably than mile high, but I don't know. I'm just, I should be up here in a Broncos jersey. And I don't know. Um, so yeah, ditto. And, um, I will say, though, that uh, I don't know if this exactly addresses your question, but it's something that's on my mind a lot lately because I'm working on my second book. Um, There are expectations that are going to be placed on you, you know, if you do decide to publish a book. So, you know, if Harrison all of a sudden decides that what he really desperately wants to do is write, you know, erotic romance, like, (laughs) he's going to have a marketing issue, right? Um, You know, because people are going to look at his backlist and say, well, that's not, you know, kind of what you're known for. Um, So you do, I think have to be really clear about what it is that your authentic voice is um, and be um, and be directed about what you want that to do in your writing career um, because you will be asked in some ways to imitate yourself, uh, which is trickier than it sounds um, and I will also say that you know in, in because i 'm kind of in that like big Gotham. Um, you know, publishing world. Um, my agent and editor never asked me to do something that I wasn't happy with, and I always had the option to say no. Um, and I said no a number of points in the process. Um, and that, you know, you know, like you know, with a good melon, right? You'll know when you know when it's when, it, when it's uh, rub it up against your voice wrong, and you should be able to say no, or you're not, or you're in a bad relationship because it's all about Harrison. <laughs> What an awesome way to close this up. Uh, Thank you, all four of you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast. We bring this to you thanks to Lighthouse members and funders and listeners like you who support the cause. We are grateful to the SCFD Tier 3 for their support. More information on Lighthouse Writers Workshop and opportunities for involvement can be found on our website at www.lighthousewriters.org.